0: Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Elon Eleven. Graphic Policy Radio is the comics podcast for people who read comics and also know that comics, like all art, are political and always have been. As we end the year 2018, the longest and gayest and teenest of all years, it's time to talk about the comics we loved, the comics we lost, the comics we can't wait to keep reading. We share this so you can find more great comics to read and so you can argue with us on Twitter. Joining me today, I've got a great round table of folks. I've got Bilal Shelby. Bilal is a non-binary writer who focuses on queerness and historical and speculative fiction. You should totally follow them at Bilal A-U-P. That's B-I-L-A-L-I-P-A-U-P. Alex Carcosa is a contributor to Graphic Policy, a lover of Valiant Comics, and co-host of Those Two Geeks, Stephen Adlewell writes about the intersection of history, politics, and pop culture, and the people's history of the Marvel Universe. Uh, in his day job, he teaches public policy at City University of New York's Murphy Institute for Labor Studies, and he is the founder of Race for the Iron Throne. Uh, so thank you all for joining. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: So uh, let's start off the big picture of like, I'm not someone who's going to say, what's the number one best, or you could only list your top three or whatever but like what are some of the best new comics you read this year like new series or new graphic novel that was just released um i can say that for me one of the best ones is something that literally just came out a couple weeks ago which is die comic from stephanie hans Mm. and kieran gillen i know folks know that i'm like the biggest fan of all of their work so that's not a big surprise but um what else are you guys thinking of
2: um, I'll go first. Uh, yeah. so, Thanks, Steven. uh, sure. Uh, you already stole Die from me, so, um, I'll throw two up there. Uh, Kelly Thompson's, like, I mean, it's got two different names, but her Rogan Gambit, uh, comic mm. is, like, routinely really, really good. Um, and also, uh, Crowded, which I believe is Image. Yes, it is. Um. um yeah, Crowded and, is great. Yeah, um. <laughs> Uh hold on, I just want to...
0: Crowded is Chris Sabella as the writer and the artist. With artists Rose Stein, Ted Brandt, uh, Triana Farrell, Carnival Ray. I was like literally just catching up on it. But um, yeah, Chris was on my podcast earlier this year to talk about Crowded. It's like, it's a really good sort of dystopian future right around the corner with a lot of really good
2: insight. Um, yeah that you know what I what I thought was amazing about it is that uh, initially I wasn't gonna read it because the like the pitch sounded so much like a, a bad episode of Black Mirror. like, what if social media but too far? And the way it was actually handled once I you know actually read an issue was so deft and clever and you know the characters were interesting. Uh, and the writing was good, and the art was like this really kind of gorgeous, cartoony style uh, that like I instantly all of my like reservations were gone.
0: Hmm. What about you, Bilal?
1: Um, I think something that really surprised me this year was uh, Saladin Ahmed and uh, Javier Rodriguez's Exiles. Mm-hmm. It it started it. it i think from the first page it was just really beautiful and really smart and incredibly satisfying and it's a book that i'm really interested to see where it goes and then um the wilds by vita vita ayala uh and i can't i can't think of the artist right now i probably should have wrote it down i
0: emily pearson with colorist marissa louise
1: yeah i think so yeah and that one is just another you know visually you know visually stunning, really smart and political book uh post apocalyptic you know quote unquote, kind of zombies, but uh they're they're they have have flowers growing out of their faces, which is really beautiful and and disturbing um yeah it's just a fun you know interesting queer book.
0: Yeah, Vita was on the podcast to talk about it, actually, as well. Um, and and Abella was on to talk about Crowded earlier. Yeah, I, I love it. You guys are totally mentioning some of the favorite ones I've had guests on for this year. Um, and yeah, those are all titles I really like. W- what about you, Alex?
3: One of the fa- my favorite books I've read this year, and it's really only just started, is Grumble by Rafe Roberts and Mike Norton. It's... Kind of, you know, art history magic in the real world. If you've read the Dresden books, it's almost kind of like that. It's worth liking it, and it reminds me a lot of Constantine. Hmm. But it's, I don't know. There's just a lot to it, and I've I read the first issue a while ago, and the second issue came out this week. But my my LCS didn't get a copy, and um, I think there was issues with the ordering. So I haven't read the second issue yet. But based on the first issue alone, it's one of the things i'm really looking forward to getting more of next year and i also wanted to pump uh, the highest house by oh god i think it's mike carey and peter gross hmm. uh, it's published by idw it is it's a six issue mini and it comes in a brilliant brilliant um kind of oversized paperback collection now and i've read i've read it yesterday and today and it is phenomenal um Hmm. i really cannot recommend it high enough but i don't want to talk about the plot too much because i went in completely blind and i want anyone else that reads it based on my recommendation to also go in completely blind (laughs) but i mean that the synopsis basically it it talks about there's a um a kid that's sold into slavery early on and it it questions whether or not you know is being born a slave a fact or, and can facts be changed? So if you haven't read that, I would highly recommend doing so.
0: You know, it's a good thing you mentioned sort of like limited series, because I feel like there's a number of sort of, you know, short runs like limited series this year that have been really exciting. Uh, I know that twisted romance back in February, which literally all came out in the month of February series of, um i guess out, out of the box uh romance comics anthology that alex de Campi wrote with a lot of different other contributors like trungles and um alejandra gutierrez um meredith mclaren uh i i really loved that and have come back to it a few times and including some uh short stories uh and i usually have a hard time making myself focus on reading short stories in comics when there is prose mixed in but i even enjoyed those and like frankly it's a genre that i haven't really spent much time thinking about or having anything to do with um and and i read it because i like alex and she was helping get some folks who i followed on social media their first sort of big comics gig and i was just so happy because like there just aren't comics like this Uh, there haven't been like there's romance as a thing in lots of comics and I don't know stuff like Raven and Pirate Princess like one of the things I love most about it is the romance but um, you know romance comics were huge back in the day they're not really as broad as they had been uh, and it was really fun to get it and it's a four issue series but it's now available in trade paperback really awesome art Um, I mean for me another mini series I really enjoyed was Abbott Saladin Ahmed and I'm forgetting the name oh, of the yeah, artist. Oh, that was great. Uh, yeah. artists Sami Cavella and Jason Wardy. Yeah. yeah, do you want to talk about it a little bit?
2: Um I mean just that it's a uh, like the the concept was just brilliant like sort of um 70s noir slightly black exploitation um sort of journalism thriller with uh magical horror elements. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And a lot Does of
2: come cl- it's a hard one to, yeah, and to it, sum up. a lot sentence. of
1: a lot of uh, a lot of body horror and uh mm-hmm. some like voodoo imagery with the backdrop of like like racism and and uh like like uh like racism and queerness and and the main character is this uh this black woman protagonist who has a like a full and complete work and and full and complete professional and romantic life which really filled the story out you know what i mean uh so yeah. many so many people write you know protagonists that are black women and they don't make them complete people and the story Mm -hmm. kind of falters but i think abbott did a really good job with making the main character like a person people can relate to and and see uh see as a real person if that makes sense that's
0: a good yeah totally Uh, you know and speaking of salad and ahmed i mean one of my questions i wanted to talk about are like who are the creators artists writers editors who like had a big breakthrough this year and i really think this has been the oh, year absolutely. Salad and Ahmed. I mean, you know, Black Bolt became started to come out last year, but it ended this year. You know, this year he had Quicksilver, who's like a favorite character of mine, easily. Abbott. Um, I've been really loving Exiles that you mentioned before, and he's just been writing a ton of new stuff. And um, well, and I think, yeah,
2: like he's now taking over Spider-Man and Miss Marvel at once. So like, yeah, some of the most important young. Characters of color, uh, in in super you know mainstream big two superhero comics are like all under his roof. Uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see like how he you know maintains both of their like similar but very distinct voices.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's he's been really a part of all of these conversations around uh, representation and what makes you know the difference between um people writing characters of color who aren't that you know who who don't have that experience and people who do and i think he's he's been really uh i think he's been he's been watching all of these conversations and taking all of the best all of the best points and arguments from them into these characters that he's been making or mm. creating or writing for Mm-hmm. No, I'm gonna talk a lot about, about Vita Ayala, this this podcast. Yeah. They're you know, they're a friend of mine, but also they've had such a meteoric rise
4: mm.
1: this year, um, with the wilds and with submerged all of all of the DC work they've done. Um, and then um taking Livewire, one of Valiant's uh characters that really in my opinion, should have gotten this level of, of focus probably when they relaunched a few years ago. And I think mm-hmm. Vita has such an such an eye for weirdness and such a such a way with uh, with writing writing women and writing uh, non-binary and gender non-conforming characters. And I'm so excited to see what they do next.
0: Uh, i know that vita is going to be doing the magic the gathering comics this upcoming year and i that's absolutely one of the things i'm most excited about
1: oh yeah yeah like we we have this uh this joke where there'll be a a weird headline uh about something and then vita will say like hey guys i'm working on a new comic this year like there was one (laughs) about a, a deer got into a got into a restaurant and like, it it was like running around and there was no one in there. And then um, Vita (laughs) Vita was like, Oh, Hey everyone. I'm working on a new, I'm working on a new comic this year. Stay tuned. Like their brain is just always, you know, thinking up something new.
0: Another great miniseries was new mutants, dead souls by Matthew Rosenberg, Adam Gorham, Michael Garland and Clayton Cowles on letters um and yes every issue was named after a different joy division song trying to catch up on that Uh, there's this amazing moment where they're super cornered and it looks like everyone's about to die and like uh richter says time to make like the alamo and boom boom is like you know we lost right and he says you know i'm mexican right (laughs) It's like (laughs) yeah um such a good job of like actually capturing the gothness of magic but that was a, that definitely was a good miniseries, you know, and I've completely fallen out of reading X-Books entirely. Um, but they have re- recently started, like, hiring people who I'm really into to do bits and bobs of X-Men stuff, and it might end up getting me to pay attention again. Like, the one-off issue of uh, Emma Frost that um, it was Bachelot on art, even though I'm actually not that big of a fan of his, to be honest, and I think his costume for Emma was ridiculous. Uh, but written written by Leia Williams... Um, she just wrote one hell of an Emma Frost. Holy crap. Um, so, and she'll be coming on the show very soon. Um oh, cool. So that, you know, like, like a, yeah, it's like a random one-off, one-issue thing, and she just really rocked it. I know that also from, like, graphic novel land, um, The Pervert, by, um, Michelle Perez and Remy, uh... Boydell, Boydell um, was something that I sort of, you know, I I started to thumb through it to get ready for having them on the show. Um, but then I was just immediately immersed and read the whole, whole entire book, even though it was the middle of the work day. Hmm. So there's that. Um, the Pervert is really beautiful, painted. Um, human Animals as humans, basically, uh, talking about a young trans woman's experience doing sex work in Portland, Oregon and her relationships with people. And it also includes some interesting flashback stories to, um, one of the other characters and how he fell in love back in the eighties. And it's, it's really has a, it's really beautiful. It's kind of mournful, but in a way that's completely earned. Um, I don't really read much like, Animals as people stuff, but I actually feel like it worked really well for this book. Did anybody else read The Pervert?
1: Uh, nope. It's yeah. I, I get, I get on no. it. It's it's sitting on my desk right now.
0: <laughs> oh wow, we'll definitely get on it. Yeah. Um, another on the other end of things, graphic novel that was really great this year was Cardboard Kingdom, which was written by Chad Sells and like literally everybody in the world because there's like a million writers on it, um, which is an all ages graphic novel that is totally like, if you want to give kids something really wholesome and really diverse that also really encourages people to get creative, like this is that. Like, I I don't want to make it sound wholesome in a way that's not, I mean, I plowed through that book too. I really enjoyed it. But it's sort Mm -hmm. of like, this is exactly what your teacher or like a good, like progressive minded teacher would want you to read because it's all about kids using their creativity and like learning emotional intelligence and building sensitivity to each other. And it has the most diverse cast and the most diverse writing staff, um, you know, like young queer and gender nonconforming kids and immigrant kids and, you know, kids with different neurotypical neur- and neurotypical and just like every kind of kid in the world all interacting together, being creative. And the art is so much fun. So if, it, if you need to buy a book for any kids, like, and I obviously enjoyed it plenty as a grown up, get on that. Cardboard Kingdom.
1: Yeah. The I I read uh, Cardboard Kingdom this summer and the really interesting thing about it is it kind of gives kids this uh this lesson about the if an adult makes you feel bad about something that you like and it's not hurting anybody, you don't really have to listen to that adult. Which is I mm. which I think is a, is a thing that more kids media needs sort of sometimes adults in your life will push you into like normative behavior and you don't have to listen to them because they don't have your best interest at heart hear hear yeah and, and it was such a really really fascinating message to come from something specifically meant for children
4: hmm.
0: what if I was thinking about like critical darling comics of this period like are, are people still um excited about uh mr miracle i'm trying to think of what else is like cleaning up on best of lists but we're curious about folks I think, thoughts I
3: think, uh, jeff lemire on black hammer has been phenomenal i don't know if you mm-hmm. guys have been reading that or not mm.
0: is that um what it, is a uh, black hammer
3: it's a dark horse book where i've been really into black hammer since it came out and for some inexplicable reason i've actually dropped off it for the last little bit i think i missed the beginning of the last couple of miniseries so i'm just kind of waiting to to get it all in trade at this point but i haven't heard a single bad word about anything jeff lemire has done this year
1: yeah Mm. yeah jeff lemire has done some really really great stuff at valiant the past few years yes he has yeah and i'm you know i'm really excited to check out black hammer i actually have a few issues on my desk too I'm, <laughs> i'm way it, behind <laughs> I, th- I think it also just got options
3: for a either a tv show or a movie or, or something so it's um it's one of those books i think that the outside world, so to speak, is uh, is latching onto as something that could potentially be, um, you know, a story worth exploring in multiple media. Mm. And a- again, it's it's really great comics. How it will translate, no idea. But that's why I don't get paid to do that kind of stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Jeff Lemire is one of those writers who, when you see he's on something, you know, at the very least, it'll it will be an interesting story whether or not it stays yeah. with you for a while it doesn't matter you'll know it'll it'll be a ride
0: did um, anybody keep up on like the batman fracas or
2: the so wedding marvel i read the wedding issue and mm-hmm. like i don't know it i feel really weird about tom king like Some of his stuff I find amazing. Like, I think Mr. Miracle is quite genius. And then others I just find incredibly tiresome. And The Wedding Issue was one, where it was like, this is half the length. Like, there's half the the, the book's length worth of content, and it's just, like, huge numbers of splash pages of, like, Batman and Catwoman running around with this just really bad descriptive text about them and i was just not and also i mean this has been a bad year for um uh for sort of fake out weddings in general yeah. <laughs> um you know we had the uh kitty and colossus one which like you know something of a dodge bullet there but like mm-hmm. still it's just it it you know Good superhero comics absolutely can be soap operas, but they should try to be the best that soap operas are and not the worst. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that falls into the
3: worst. I think Tom King has had some incredible ups on, and incredible highs on, on his Batman series when he's been writing it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And he has had some lows that are absolutely. Can I swear? Please. Anyway, I'd say they're absolutely fucking terrible. I. <laughs> I, I've, I've read Batman for, I mean, I, I read all of the New 52 with Scott Snyder right, writing Batman and probably came on around issue 600. Because of Tom King, I no longer collect Batman. I couldn't mm. justify spending the money on an issue that, you know, out of five issues, one would be really, really good, mm-hmm. one would be okay, one might be good, and the other two are usually just drivel and when you're getting that i just i couldn't do it i just couldn't do it anymore do
0: you think the issue is that he's writing too many different comics at the same time
3: i think so i think if you have i mean i love tom king i think he's a genius writer and i think he and i think you can see that in mr miracle and in the handful of batman issues that i think he has Mm -hmm. this great moment planned out and i think because he's got and and it's something that uh, Joe Hesch says all the time, Tom King's a writer for moments, he's got he must have a plan for a great moment but it's but getting to that moment I think is where he struggles
4: Mm.
2: so on a creator that like did not disappoint um, I mean you know I say this all the time but like John Allison's um, Giant Days may be the most consistently good comic book out there just in terms of like you know as you were sort of saying you know great great writers and great artists they can have like you know their their highs and lows but like giant days there has not been an issue of that comic that has like failed to make me just like happy for the whole day when I read
0: it and you got me into it this year yeah and I've really I, I, I'm it. giving it
2: as like birthday and Christmas presents to pretty much everybody just because like mm. I want more people to read it.
0: Yeah, it's almost like... A, it's it's slice-of-life college students with, like, just the touch of the fantastical that's mostly used to, like, heighten things in a way that I guess is best described as magical realism, I think, is how I would explain yeah, it. Yeah,
2: you know, sort of slight surrealist uh, uh, flights of fancy. They're usually, like... It, it's not so much that surreal stuff is actually happening, it's just that someone is, like, sleep-deprived or high or whatever, and they are... <laughs> like hallucinating very very strange things happening
4: yeah Yeah.
0: so who's a long time industry person who's having a really big second wind this year like who you're like wow so-and-so's back in black like i know that for me like one of the ongoing comics that i've just been most mainlining addicted to read immediately when i get it uh is Christopher Priest on Deathstroke. Um, you know the artists on the book are good, but I'm pretty, but they're pretty house styley. I, I'm really there for Chris Priest's writing. Um, it's so nice to have a villain book by someone who is not trying to make the villain more appealing and recognizes that the villain is the villain. And the the whole series is just about how Deathstroke like ruins everybody in his family's life, and it has really pointed humor when it has humor. When it has politics they're very smart um and it's very long game in depth just like so much content you never feel like you're getting shortchanged really a very classic comic on deathstroke so so good on you
2: chris priest who else is having a second wind um i don't know if you could necessarily call it a second wind because you know the figuring out the highs and lows of this are hard but. Uh, Gillen and McKelvey on, uh, Wicked and the Divine. Like, there is a comic that, not only is it just absolutely gorgeous pretty much every single issue, but Mm -hmm. every single issue it breaks my brain and sends me sort of scrambling to do a reread to, like, figure out, you know, what is actually going on and how does this thing fit into that other thing. And, you know, it's, it's an amazing, um accomplishments that's sort of starting to head into the the final stretch i think there's like maybe four or six issues left yeah um and it's just like not stopping or slowing down at all in that final stretch you know sometimes you've got great comics that like start to stumble and fall as they hit the kind of serialized um uh problem i think for me like saga was that for me this year Mm -hmm. where I just like finally lost patience. I was like, okay, you can kill your entire cast. I'm not going to be any more shocked than I was the last 10 times you did this. Uh, but with Wiktiv, it's like every issue is something new and surprising and like makes me rethink characters.
0: I love it. And you have a podcast about Wiktiv.
2: Yes. Uh, um, I'm working through it issue by issue. Uh, which is kind of hard to do uh, Because like a lot of issues make you want to like Go on straight to the next one um, But uh, yeah It's been a lot of fun to do that this year
0: Bilal, how about you?
1: Um I don't know, I would just probably echo What you said about The Deathstroke Priest run It's, it's just so mm. I don't know, it's just so dense And And you know what you said about the political stuff is 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 true but I also think there's a because it's about Deathstroke like because it's about a villain some of the political things are are very like there's no right answer there's no actual solution Mm -hmm. there's no you know there's no one solution you know everything is, is very nuanced almost incredibly cynical yeah. Which I really love and he doesn't try to make anything look better like everybody in that book is is reprehensible and all of the nice characters <laughs> cannot stand to be in the same room as everyone else. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. every every issue is just something something more and more reprehensible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I also just love all of his interactions with Batman are like the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I, I I really wanted to read priest on justice league this year, and I just didn't get around to picking it up, which is a real regret of mine.
1: You know, I he wasn't a
0: short run on justice league. You know, I
1: wasn't a big fan of that run. Oh, okay. But I, you know, I appreciate what he was, was trying to do. Yeah.
0: um, so who's somebody, we talked about some folks who are just starting to have a big year. Um, so who's having a second wind. What are some of the best critical essays about comics that you've read this year? Uh, doesn't have to be a graphic policy. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also mention if something that you wrote that you feel is particularly great, feel free to share that too.
1: Um, uh, well, there's uh, Claire Napier wrote Uh, an article about uh, Time it was called Time in Comics for uh, the uh, MNT and it was essentially about uh, how sort of the monthly like scheduled comics system is I I guess she was making an argument about different ways of of, uh, publishing comics every month um, and and just thinking about uh, well basically one of her arguments was was that uh when you when you make every comic writer and artist stick within this uh sort of rigid idea of of every comic comes out every week on Wednesday every comic every new issue of a comic comes out every month there are mm-hmm. writers and 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 artists who can't or work better outside of that of that schedule and you know she said she wanted to see more works sort of break out of that and try new things which I think is really interesting like Mm -hmm. uh, like a 12 issue story and all 12 issues drop on the same day you know or an entire you know, series of graphic novels be written, uh, written and drawn already. And then every one come out month by month. You know, just something to really shake it up. And then on a personal level, uh, Evan Narcisse wrote about uh, this this ongoing comic from Milestone from the 90s. And the, the sort of, uh, I guess a, I guess a, I I wouldn't call it a reboot but a revisiting from DC years later from this uh this character character called Zombie and um uh, he was talking about the art and and uh it, it, it's 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 uh the character Zombie is is uh he's essentially uh, an un- he's essentially undead uh and the rest of the book is is um a mix of like technology and and magic there's a lot of body horror there's a lot of um using like mythology and and stories from from different religions and cultures and and uh turning it into magical realism and i think that you know that that article really gives that book and that character you know the the attention that it deserved yeah
0: I know that I've been a really big fan, continue to be a big fan of the middle spaces and um, Oswaldo Ayola's, uh essays there, he was my guest just this past week um, to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse but um, yeah, if folks haven't been reading his stuff in general like he just goes in depth and it's such smart analysis and he's a professor in college and it shows <laughs> hmm. but um i think like digging up ghosts teen titan mal and his token power is like so freaking good there's so many just like it's great analysis of what is broken about the way Black characters were have been written by white creators in particular, even when the white creators are trying hard. <laughs> that yeah. is just like put a perfect exclamation point on it when he wrote about it. Who, who else is critical works that you guys are excited about?
2: Um, I I really liked. Um, uh, you know, who knows if it'll it'll survive the detail blurring of twenty eighteen. Hmm. But uh, Tim and Alex get twatted. Uh, which is a series of essays and stuff um, about uh, Wicked of the Divine um, where like not just bringing in uh, you know kind of your standard comics analysis but like some really deep dives into history and like breaking down world history for what 10,000 years uh, and you know how that links to visual design is quite impressive
4: hmm
0: you know tumblr uh, has so many brilliant scholars of the wicked and the divine i i really hope that i continue to be able to read those essays there um because i would regularly see something on the wicked and the divine tags on tumblr that would just below my mind
2: yeah well that all they have to do now is just put uh safer work uh, tags at the bottom of every post should all be fine <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah there you go no big deal Anybody find anything that you really liked that got canceled this year?
1: Mm, I wouldn't say... Well, this was... I I guess this ended and it wasn't technically canceled. Uh, But I still think it had a a lot of uh, potential to keep going and telling more interesting stories. And it was uh, Steve Orlando's uh, Justice League of America. Hmm. And I just wanted to see what the next step with that book was. And it just sort of, you know, ended.
0: And that was the JLA with, like, the really weird team?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think he really got what made that team interesting as characters and then putting them together under Batman and making them uh, work together was really cool. Like, probably the most interesting... Uh, Vixen writing Mm -hmm. in a long time, Uh, Vixen and the Atom, and uh, Killer Frost, and yeah, just some really interesting character work.
2: Uh, I mean, I don't know, uh, this, you know, uh, hmm, we may want to cut this. Um, I was gonna say, uh, I don't know if we should talk about Bordertown because it's just such a oh yeah fucked mm. up story overall. Like it was a brilliant comic, but like I you know, knowing what we know now, it's it's hard to say I'm sad to see it go.
0: Yeah, I mean just for context, folks, like Bordertown really was enjoying it. You know, I um Ramon Villa Lobos, who's been on the show, was amazing, um, you know, was the artist on it. Erica Squell was the writer. It recently came out that he was like sexually harassing and gaslighting women in the industry and just being terrible, um, so the series got canceled, and um, which is like the thing you're supposed to do. But mm-hmm. yeah, it really sucks when like men being terrible gets in the way of, you know, whatever amazing art the women the women he harassed would have been able to do if he hadn't been mm-hmm. traumatizing them,
1: yeah. and also
0: the amazing work that Tamra Bonvillain and Ramon Villalobos were doing on that comic, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I what I really what I really liked about that situation was how immediate both uh Ramon uh and and Tamara were after it happened like immediately saying like I'm off of this book uh you know I'm proud of my work but I'm not working with this person again and I think you know oh, we're probably going to talk more about it but one of the really great things that I think happened in in comics from uh from an industry perspective and from like a fan perspective was uh just sort of pointing out bad behavior publicly and saying like this is ba- this is bad. this person did this. we want to hold them accountable
4: mm-hmm.
1: and um yeah that's uh I think that that the situation with border town was a really great example of uh, just people wanting to hold someone accountable.
0: But meanwhile, Scott Lovedell is still writing like two comics for DC and he's like mm. publicly sexually harassed women. Yeah. Um, and he's still around, you know? It's like it's much easier to get them to can someone who's new and has little power in the industry than it is to get them to can someone who's been around for a long time. And oh, well, I know him. I'm sure he didn't mean it. Or like whatever justifications they want to cook up.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: Um, But, you know, I definitely think this has been a big year for accountability. I mean, one of the, you know, the big things is, like, we finally saw big names in comics standing up to the harassment, right-wing extremist harassment mob that calls itself Comicsgate. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd been going after all these amazingly talented trans women in the industry. And those trans women had mostly been left to, like, fend for themselves without the industry doing shit to support them and it was just disgusting and then suddenly comics gate went after darwin cook's widow and suddenly like you know the big names in the industry decided to stand up to them because only when a straight woman is harassed uh can they be bothered to put their necks out there to protect each other but um but they have now finally been fighting really fighting against the comics gate folks and shutting them down
2: yeah, and the the sort of one structural thing that's been kind of uh, somewhat good to see is the, like, you know, slow, gradual kind of... Uh, I mean, deplatforming is a strong word to use, but, like, you know, anything that interferes with the the ongoing grift train, I think, is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, where people losing access to, to Patreon or getting demonetized on YouTube, it's just, like... What what's so insidious about all of this is that it's like not just, you know, the um, kind of evil mob mentality stuff, but like people making their their uh, their livings off of spreading this shit, and that mm-hmm. slowly starting to break down. Uh, I think is a really uh, hopeful sign.
0: Well, somebody who made a really big difference this year, who I'm definitely putting up as my unsung hero in the industry of the year is Jay Editin. Mm-hmm. Um, his podcast, uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, continues to be one of the greatest co- podcasts of all time that I have nothing to do with. Um, but, you know, he's been someone who has exposed huge, big names harassing people in the industry. You know, he finally got Eddie Bergeza fired from... DC comics Um, but one of the big things is he did the successful campaign this past year to get Dark Horse to actually cover trans people's healthcare needs in their health insurance policy Um, and he did that by like actually organizing a campaign around it I, I, I spoke a bit about this at length actually at FlameCon but like too often when people want to see a change in the comics industry they'll just sort of announce it on Twitter and then once they've sort of thrown the idea to the world, like they, they don't do anything else. So of course, I mean, maybe if the idea is really compelling, a lot of people retweet it, but that's it. There's no actual plan to how you're going to make that change. And then nothing happens. And in this case, Jay actually organized, you know, like a letter to the, from industry people to dark horse and like really explained the issue in depth to folks. And they were beginning to move the letter. And he'd done all this research on the policies and like, actually built a campaign and it worked and they changed their policy, you know? So definitely my big hero of the year is Jay Edidin.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I know a few of you are, you know, into like Valiant and Lionforge and stuff like that. Do we have any particular non big two superhero series deserving a shout out? Um, I was just catching up on summit amy chu jan durisma and then there's a new artist who's taken over but um summit is a lion forge comic very much a science first sort of sci-fi superhero story um i really enjoy uh the humor on it and like having a badass woman astronaut who's Queer as your protagonist and her whole like support team because she works she's at mit that's why it's summit <laughs> uh, her whole support team are all like super international just like it would be at mit like people from around the world um with like very specific characterization um and uh, it's just a lot of fun
1: yeah yeah it, it is a uh, it is a very uh it, it's a very fun and beautiful comic. Yeah. Um going back to uh to Lion Forge, I think Noble mm-hmm. Noble is really mm. like really found its footing with me, at least. Um I love that it's it's uh it's about this like this black man like superhero, but the book is focused on him and his relationship with his wife both like being you know pushed into this really uh both being pushed into a really dire situation and them like both just like staying strong in their love for each other
0: it's a really important comic i mean when i was at the black comics con at um the brooklyn museum like everybody's tables were all black panther luke cage storm and noble like those yeah. were like the iconic four superheroes that were really up there
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah
0: alex i know you're like mr valiant um what yeah
3: i i've really been enjoying ninja k this year um it's kind of been oh, scratching wait, the back
0: that's not ninjack it's ninja k yeah <laughs>
3: Yeah, the the I think they did Ninja K to differentiate the two volumes. Uh, Ninjak ended I think in twenty seventeen ish, and then they relaunched Ninja K this year. Uh, and so the the idea behind Ninja K is that the current Ninjak, Colin King, is K, and then you had A through I don't know, alphabet off the top of my head A through J up until that point and so the series has been telling the stories of some of the older ninjas uh, members of the ninja program and how they have been through brainwashing manipulation just absolutely uh you know awful things from the british government just to keep them in peak performance so that they can use them as weapons and it's also been able to scratch the batman itch for me because you know ninja kit or ninja is basically Valiant's version of Batman, who has no compunctions about killing people who "quote unquote" deserve to be killed, and again, and again sticking with Valiant, Exo uh, Manowar. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I have always felt Exo Manowar has been Valiant's flagship character, and that may be changing next year or the year after when um, the Bloodshot movie's coming out with Vin Diesel, but right now i think matt Kint on exo maneuver has written some of the best comics i've read in a long time as he's taken him from you know on a on a different planet kind of farmer grunt up through the up through the ranks to soldier to eventually ruling a planet and then breaking him right back down again
4: hmm.
3: and as he's doing this he's exploring for me he's exploring what does it mean to really lead people to find yourself can you lead people and lose yourself and, and still keep who you are at your heart or do you have to lose parts of yourself in order to serve the greater good mm. and it's been 23 ish issues that have just blown my mind with each one and part of that is also the art i think the art is phenomenal mm. in almost every issue
0: who are some of the artists on it do you know uh
3: thomas giarello i think I think mm. Luis Larosa is in there as well. Miko uh, Suyan, my pronunciation is awful, and I don't remember all the artists off the top of my head.
0: That's cool, though. I, I see uh, Giorello. I saw his stuff on Conan, <coughs> Conan the Barbarian.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think with uh, with Exo Manowar, it's very. It would be very easy to see it and think like, "Oh, this is an Iron Man ripoff," but. I think they do such a great job of making, you know, the main character, Eric, and everyone around him and the the mythology around him really, uh, really compelling. And he's, it's, it's, I kind of, I kind of think of it like a, like a science fiction version of a, a sword and sandals movie. Hmm. i I heard someone call it at the beginning of the series it's basically
3: space conan and they're not wrong to an extent it is basically space conan where you know arik is the um i mean he's from the fifth you know the 500 ad he's transported to the modern times and has very little understanding ish of modern technology and then you throw him into a hyper advanced suit of armor. And then you throw them off to a distant planet. It's you know, it's beyond fish out of water stuff. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it's just really great storytelling.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Anybody have any uh, all ages comics that? were really exciting this year i, I really think that the over over the garden wall series put out by boom that has a ton of different talent on it jim campbell kara mcgee kieran surgeon Lien and J- danielle borgos the over the garden wall comics just continue to be really beautiful in the same sort of way as the tv show they can get a little bit shaggy dog story rambling um i i think that they do read best uh in trade paperback but um I think they're a really beautiful comics, um, and really imaginative, and and good for folks of all ages.
3: Fence from Boom as well has also been really good this year. Oh, that's it's like a sports
0: a... anime comic, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I I mean, I used to fence, so I kind of picked it up for that reason, just to see how authentic it was to what I remembered, what I remembered the sport being. And it's a really, really interesting book. You've got the kid who is has a lot of raw talent but no training. You've got the kid who is just, you know, world number two or three. And everyone else just trying to make the fencing team. Now, it feels like there's, they're telling a lot of story and not a whole lot of things are actually happening. Like There's a lot of character development in the mm. six to eight issues that I remember reading but it's really really good there's a lot of positive messages in there yeah
2: <laughs> my, my favorite thing about it is like it does have that uh, extreme decompression thing from the like from anime where it's like how long did the tryouts take was it like eight issues or something like that or it's wow. like literally the, this course of two days but it's like every moment has to be so emotionally intense and that, like, you know, every every uh, match has to have its own issue practically. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's got their own, like, you know, emotional art that they have to complete. It's so good.
3: Hmm. And it, I think one of the best parts about it is there isn't a, an antagonist so much. Like each one of the boys is fighting, you know, each other, obviously, because it's fencing. But the primary struggle is every single one of them is struggling with something inside. So whether it's, The world number two was recently beaten and he's trying to you know find himself so that he can or not find himself but qualify for the fencing team just so he can go and and avenge his defeat against the person that beat him you've got the kid is just trying to prove that he is someone and not at one point do you want to cheer for one kid over the other because each Mm. and every one of them has their own has their own journey
2: yeah, I'd say the only one I don't like is the dude who never, like, remembers his hookups' names, which is just Aiden? rude. Aiden?
3: <laughs> yeah. I, you know what, I actually do like him, because he's a dick.
2: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, he's a very good antagonist character. Yeah. It's like, you know, feels like something out of, um, uh, hold on, why am I blanking on the name? What's the Fencing Anime Revolution... Uh,
3: I don't want to leave you out to, ha- to out to dry, but I don't watch anime. Yeah, and
2: pulling have... sword out of chest, uh, <laughs> Utenna. That's the he, like he reminds mm. me of an Utena antagonist, <laughs> like mm-hmm. perfect hair, kind of a sneer. Um,
0: and it's funny because this whole series is existing in like a completely, you know i mean i guess there's some characters who i think might be non-binary i'm not sure but like predominantly a male focused romance uh stories
3: yeah i I think i think it's all in a a boys boarding school i know so i don't i don't know if um if if they would have females in in the boarding school or but i, I no, think but it's I mean, more like, No, toward... but
0: I, I i think it's not i know I, I only read a few issues and it's been a while but i think yeah. it's i'm not necessarily sure how bobby identifies
3: and and that's what i mean that's right that's, that's what i was, I was yeah. agreeing with you in that i think it's good it's a brilliant all-agey story that also addresses this or that without making it a thing it's just there's bobby and and bobby's just bobby
1: Yeah, like Bobby, Bobby exists in this story and there's no particular negative attention paid towards Bobby and and Bobby is just allowed to be like allowed to exist in all these spaces with everyone else without it turning into something. But Bobby is clearly the Bobby clearly doesn't express gender in the way everyone else does. Which I, which I really mm-hmm. appreciate. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. And I think this is also the only comic series that really acknowledged the success of um, Hockey Comic. Uh,
2: oh my oh, God, check uh, Just checking. Check please, yes. Yeah. Sorry, just checking. Wait. God damn
4: it.
0: Yes, <laughs> it's like the biggest comic of the year is like a web-only self-published sports romance comic. And Fence, I think, is the only comic by a publisher to actually recognize that that other comic is freaking huge and try to grow on the audience.
1: Yeah, and they and they hired they they actually hired someone who has written. Uh, I, I I can't remember the author's name, but she's she's written. Uh, I wouldn't say similar stories, but they you can look at her past writing. And what they were going to, with uh, with with Fence, and see an overlap in audience. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: that if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> smart, yeah.
1: Yeah, very very smart, very smart uh, writer choice.
0: Oh, you know another young people friendly comic that also fits the category of got canceled, but then got brought back, as completely predicted by yours truly, as Unstoppable Wasp. Um, mm-hmm and uh i think that you know not surprisingly this comic that's really great for young girls didn't sell that well in floppies who could have predicted but then sold really well on digital and in trade paperback who could have predicted so it was cancelled and now it's back um but just a really fun series the action scenes are really good it's full of like queer and racially diverse young women. And they're all really written well and their relationships with each other are really written well i mean jeremy whitley is like you know i'm a huge fan of raven the pirate princess and all of that is carried Mm -hmm. on here although with less of a romance focus than raven has but um Mm -hmm. unstoppable wasp definitely glad to see it back
1: what i really like i didn't know it
2: it went because marvel's whole thing of like every year we've got to have two number ones from every series (laughs) <laughs> confuses the shit out of me. So I don't know what's what's there and what's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, one of uh one one thing I really like about how he writes the main character Nadia is she doesn't understand a lot of what's happening like she was re- basically raised in in a dark room with no uh no experience with the outside world and they he 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 gives her all of these moments of un- trying to understand the world around her, but it doesn't make her. It doesn't. Uh, she's not the butt of the joke, mm. for the most part. It's it's very much like okay, if you didn't know what what uh, I don't know, if you didn't know what what Twitter was, you would probably think the same things Nadia thinks about Twitter. Like it, it doesn't make her an idiot. Like a lot of. These type of stories would.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, uh, also, something uh, uh, to, uh, an ongoing uh, an ongoing series from last year came out with two like holiday specials this year, and um, it was Backstagers mm. by uh, James James and the Fourth, and they did a, a Valentine's Day special and a Halloween special, and yeah, back, Backstages is such a I don't know. It's such a fun and 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 cute story. I'm 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 really into like uh, the kitschy side of horror. Like not so much scary, but like um, horror that's like scary, but it's also fun and funny and a little bit campy. And I think that series does does all of that while also making really interesting like teenage characters.
2: Yeah, it's a very sweet comic and makes me very nostalgic for uh, doing theater
1: in high school. Yeah, same.
0: (laughs) It was never quite as magical as that. (laughs) So uh, as we wrap up this episode, does anybody have any other comics, essays, people, characters you want to give a shout out to? I mean, I feel bad. We actually haven't talked about Black Panther at all, but it feels like so much of that energy has come from the movies. And we'll be doing Mm. a different episode to talk about movies Uh, and stuff like that. Okay. i was i was gonna ask because i was
2: like this has been such a amazing crazy year for for comic book movies that uh, yeah we're gonna
0: do movies later but like black panther in terms of like the comics i mean the new series evan narcisse was starting i haven't kept up on it but it looked really good and now there's a shuri series like they're finally really building out the black panther world i mean i think it's obvious that black panther is the comics character of the year but
1: oh yeah definitely definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Evan Narcisse's Rise of the Black Panther series was uh I think that and um Ed Ed Pixer's X-Men Grand Design were some mm. really fun and smart like basically retellings of stories we've seen before. And um yeah, they were really uh really interesting reads for this year.
0: I really felt like, from I, again, I, I had meant to keep up, but didn't, but I felt like for the rise of the black Panther I had a very Claremontian level of like text bang for your buck going on.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: As someone who's not usually into decompression, I, I liked that. And it got me excited about Ramonda as a character also.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, definitely. He definitely wrote the women in that book with a lot of uh with the with the with the with a lot of detail especially shuri 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 mm. does uh shuri comes off really great in that book oh oh you know what i'll just i'll just add um i'll just add uh i'm really enjoying uh uh bill Quist evely's work in uh the sandman uh in in the dreaming i guess it's a it's a revisiting the the sandman universe oh yeah yeah i think her work on that book i is meant really to read stunning.
0: that and then i didn't and now you're reminding me i should which which one is Bill Quist <laughs> working on within the Sandman? Uh,
1: it's uh the dreaming so it's kind of centered in that dreaming universe or the, the the dream realm i guess
0: thank you for reminding me that's definitely something i meant to read well okay y'all thank you for joining me um does anybody want to say where folks can follow your work on the internet, Bilal?
1: Um, you can follow me at Twitter, at at uh, Bilal Pop, at B I L A L I P A U P. Um, I'm always posting stuff I've written this year.
0: Cool, Alex.
1: Yeah, um, almost
3: everything I write is at Graphic Policy, uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Carcassa, K-A-R-C-O-S-S-A.
2: Excellent. Stephen? You can find me at Graphic Policy. You can also find me at Twitter, at Stephen Atwell, or on WordPress and Tumblr, at Race for the Iron Throne. Great, and this
0: is Ilana, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn, we're going to be doing an episode about best film and movies of the year coming up real soon. And then we're going to have Leia Williams on to talk about her amazing X-Men comics uh, that she's been doing. And um, always, as always uh, keep checking graphic policy for new reviews and stuff like that. As we like to say, keep it geeky, keep it geeky and, and a happy holidays.